Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter 10 of Sailing Alone Around the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Chant. Sailing Alone Around the World by Joshua Slocum Chapter 10 Consisting of Running to Port Angosto in a snowstorm A defective sheet rope places the spray in peril The spray as a target for a Fuegian arrow The island of Alan Eric Again in the open Pacific The run to the island of Juan Fernandez an absentee king, at Robinson Crusoe's anchorage. Another gale had then sprang up, but the wind was still fair, and I had only twenty-six miles to run for Port Angosto, a dreary enough place, where, however, I would find a safe harbour in which to refit and stow cargo. I carried on sail to make the harbour before dark, and she fairly flew along, all covered with snow, which fell thick and fast, till she looked like a white winter bird. Between the storm-bursts I saw the headland of my port, and was steering for it when a flaw of wind caught the mainsail by the lee, jibbed it over, and dear, dear, how nearly was this the cause of disaster, for the sheet parted and the boom unshipped, and it was then close upon night. I worked till the perspiration poured from my body to get things adjusted and in working order before dark, and above all to get it done before the sloop drove to leeward of the port of refuge. Even then I did not get the boom shipped in its saddle. I was at the entrance of the harbour before I could get this done, and it was time to haul her to or lose the port. Like a bird with a broken wing, she made the haven. The accident which so jeopardised my vessel and cargo came from a defective sheet-rope, one made from sisal, a treacherous fibre, which has caused a deal of strong language among sailors. I did not run the spray into the inner harbour of Port Angosto, but came to inside a bed of kelp under a steep bluff on the port-hand going in. It was an exceedingly snug nook and to make doubly sure of holding on here against all willy-wars, I moored her with two anchors, and secured her besides by cables to trees. 
However, no wind ever reached there except back floors from the mountains on the opposite side of the harbour. There, as elsewhere in that region, the country was made up of mountains. This was the place where I was to refit, and whence I was to sail direct once more for Cape Pillar and the Pacific. I remained at Port Angosto some days, busily employed about the sloop, I stowed the tallow from the deck to the hold, arranged my cabin in better order, and took in a good supply of wood and water. I also mended the sloop's sails and rigging, and fitted a jigger which changed the rig to a yawl, though I called the boat a sloop just the same, the jigger being merely a temporary affair. I never forgot, even at the busiest time of my work there, to have my rifle by me ready for instant use for I was of necessity within range of savages, and I had seen Fuegian canoes at this place when I anchored in the port further down the reach on the first trip through the strait. I think it was on the second day, while I was busily employed about decks, that I heard the swish of something through the air close by my ear, and heard a zip-like sound in the water, but saw nothing. Presently, however, I suspected that it was an arrow of some sort, for just then one passing not far from me struck the mainmast, where it struck fast, vibrating from the shock, a Fuegian autograph. A savage was somewhere near. There could be no doubt about that. I did not know but he might be shooting at me with a view to getting my sloop and her cargo and so I threw up my old Martini Henry, the rifle that kept on shooting, and the first shot uncovered three Fuegians who scampered from a clump of bushes where they had been concealed, and made over the hills. I fired away a good many cartridges, aiming under their feet to encourage their climbing. My dear old gun woke up the hills, and at every report all three of the savages jumped as if shot, but they kept on, and put Fuego real estate between themselves and the spray as fast as their legs could carry them. I took care then, more than ever, that all my firearms should be in order, and that a supply of ammunition should always be at hand. But these savages did not return, and although I put tacks on deck every night, I never discovered that any more visitors came, and I had only to sweep the deck of tacks carefully every morning after. As the days went by, the season became more favourable for a chance to clear the strait with a fair wind, and so I made up my mind after six attempts, being driven back each time, to be in no further haste to sail. The bad weather on my last return to Port Angosto for shelter brought the Chilean gunboat Condor and the Argentine cruiser Azorpado into port. As soon as the latter came to anchor, Captain Mascarella, the commander, sent a boat to the spray, with the message that he would take me in tow for Sandy Point if I would give up the voyage and return, the thing farthest from my mind. The officers of the Azopardo told me that coming up the strait after the spray on her first passage through, they saw Black Pedro, and learned that he had visited me, the Azopardo, being a foreign man of war, has no right to arrest the Fuegian outlaw, but her captain blamed me for not shooting the rascal when he came to my sloop. 
I procured some cordage and other small supplies from these vessels, and the officers of each of them mustered a supply of warm flannels, of which I was most in need. With these additions to my outfit, and with the vessel in good trim, though somewhat deeply laden, I was well prepared for another bout with the southern, misnamed Pacific, Ocean. In the first week of April, southeast winds, such as appear about Cape Horn in the fall and winter seasons, bringing better weather than that experienced in the summer, began to disturb the upper clouds. A little more patience, and the time would come for sailing with a fair wind. At Port Angosto I met Professor Dusen of the Swedish Scientific Expedition to South America and the Pacific Islands. The professor was camped by the side of a brook at the head of the harbour, where there were many varieties of moss in which he was interested, and where the water was, as his Argentine cook said, muy rico. The professor had three well-armed Argentines along in his camp to fight savages. They seemed disgusted when I filled water at a small stream near the vessel, slighting their advice to go further up into the greater brook, where it was muy rico but they were all fine fellows, though it was a wonder that they did not all die of rheumatic pains from living on wet ground. Of all the little haps and mishaps to the spray at Port Angosto, of the many attempts to put to sea and of each return for shelter, it is not my purpose to speak. Of hindrances there were many to keep her back, but on the thirteenth day of April, and for the seventh and last time, she weighed anchor from that port. Difficulties, however, multiplied all about in so strange a manner that, had I been given to superstitious fears, I should not have persisted in sailing on a thirteenth day, notwithstanding that a fair wind blew in the offing. Many of the incidents were ludicrous. When I found myself, for instance, disentangling the sloop's mast from the branches of a tree, after she had drifted three times round a small island against my will, it seemed more than one's nerves could bear, and I had to speak about it, so I thought, or die of lockjaw, and I apostrophized the spray as an impatient farmer might his horse or his ox. "'Didn't you know,' cried I, "'didn't you know that you couldn't climb a tree?' But the poor old spray had essayed, and successfully too, nearly everything else in the Strait of Magellan, and my heart softened towards her when I thought of what she had gone through. Moreover, she had discovered an island. On the charts, this one that she had sailed around was traced as a point of land. I named it Allan Eric Island, after a worthy literary friend.